Why don't you uh, take your seats? Find a seat and our sister Akiti Daniel will read our scripture for us at this time. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Um, I will be reading our scripture today, which you can find on page five of our lovely bulletin. Um, the scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. So please join me. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have, stri you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. So we're back on the life of Jacob series we've been going through here in the life of our church. And I have the privilege of uh, speaking to you about these few verses. I also wanted to cover a few more verses that I will read now uh, before I, I pray. And that's uh, 3 through 12. So listen, if you will, for a little more background on this passage that Akite read for us. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have so sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and their herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, 
Then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for being present with us, more like you have brought us to be present with you. And so, God, we are exceedingly glad by the Spirit this morning, even though some may come with sorrows on their hearts, some may indeed come with fearful anxiety, others may come with things not being wrapped up in their lives, but Lord, when is life ever wrapped up? What matters is that we're in your hand. We're hidden in you. So come now, pour your spirit upon our hearts. Help us to be empowered by you and have the sweet assurance of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been on a safari? Well, I had an opportunity to go one when I was living in Uganda, Uganda, Africa. So we traveled to the northwest uh, together. It was myself with nine other dudes.
with Brother Esau. And then I began to think that what happened to us when we are free here? You know, even Jesus was arrested by telling us, do not fear, but keep the kingdom of God. And so I began to think that the thing that we are afraid of is that we will not have the goodness of God. Something will be missing of our provision or of having a protector. Uh, something good will not come to us as was promised. And so we wonder, is God really good? Jacob says in his prayer here that God is good. We see it from verse 9. When he prayed to the God of his father Abraham and Isaac, the God who told him to return to his country and his kindred, that I may do you good. And we see, you know, even from my passage last week, that God did protect him from his conniving and deceitful uncle Laban. Now, as he re-enters the land, he faces another threat. His brother Esau, his twin brother. And the, the reason why Jacob departed from his father's house was because Esau made a pledge. I'm going to kill him. Jacob has stolen the blessing of the firstborn for himself. And so Esau was torn to bits because he meant this meant this meant everything to him. And so would the Lord do good towards Jacob at the threat of his brother because of the sin that he did against him? Can he trust in the goodness of the Lord? Is God good? And throughout the Bible, we do see uh, that there are passages that talk about God's goodness. But what is it? Well, Wayne Grudem, a New Testament scholar, he puts it this way. He said, good is what God approves. We may ask then, why is what God approves good? Well, the answer, because he approves it. That is to say, Grudem adds, there is no higher standard of goodness than God's own character. And his approval of whatever is consistent with that character. Nonetheless, God has given us some reflection of his own sense of goodness. So that when we evaluate things in the way God created us to evaluate them, we will also approve what God approves and delight in the things in which he delights. God is good. All that God does is worthy of approval. There's no other standard for us of goodness than God himself. There's no other standard that God has given to men except himself. He is the only standard for goodness. He's the final standard of goodness. Jesus has told us this in Luke 18. No one is good except God alone. And even God saw all that he had made, and he made this pronouncement that, behold, it's very good. Even after the fall of mankind, when men and women sinned against God, born into corruption and brokenness, God still is the source of all good in the world. In James, we even learn that we are not to be deceived. Every good and perfect gift 
comes from above, comes from God. Even we sing about the goodness of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The Psalms talk about the Lord being good. It's this constant refrain from creation all the way to the end that God is good. He's the one who's going to bank on every promise that he has made. We can trust in the goodness of God. Sometimes when we are afraid and wonder, does he really like me? Yes, if you're in Christ, God does good towards his children. Psalm 84, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, those that he has given his righteousness to. Matthew 7, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Even when God disciplines us, it is for our good. He is transforming us day by day into more and more of his goodness. We're coming to see that what he placed within us by the power of the spirit is good and to walk in that goodness by obeying and walking out his commands. God helps us to do that. God sees that the anxious mind is the battlefield for us to have courage in the goodness of God. It's through the goodness and the promise of his goodness that we are able to have courage in the face of fear and courage in the face of God himself. God is good. So because God is good, we must plan in light of that goodness. We must make our plea before God in light of that goodness. And we must pledge to never let that type of goodness go. Among other things, we see here that Jacob has a plan. He, his, his first strategy here is to befriend his brother Esau by sending messengers to him. And we see this in verses 3 through 5. Jacob appeals with humility and communicates these four things. You know, it's a, it's a change of heart that we see in Jacob. He says, I am your servant. This implies that he is, he's humbled himself before his brother Esau. He's ready to be gentle towards him and not striving against him. Then he, he adds, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed with him until now. That is to say, I, I haven't been going behind your back. I haven't been avoiding you. I haven't been hiding from you in your backyard or conspiring against you. In verse 5, he, he tells them, you know, I have plenty, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. That is to say that he has possessions of his own, and he's responsible for those. He has not come to take what Esau has. He's not out to trick him. And then he says, I, I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. We see this over and over again in scripture, that I may find favor in your sight. That is to request that you will accept me and forget all the past that we've gone through. And let's start over, brother. Let's go forward. Here, Jacob being courteous, showing respect to his brother because he knows the, the history. He has sinned against him. He did wrong against him. So his plan is to befriend him 
to make it right because God has told him, go into the land. And he has to make things right before him. So it seems like, you know, from uh, verse, verses 6 through 8, when befriend, befriending doesn't seem to pan out, there's a second strategy here. Uh, Jacob is planning to flee. <laughs> Jacob's messengers returned with some good news and not so good news. They made it to Esau. Yes, they did. They, they saw him. They found him. And then Esau has decided that I will come and see my brother. And Esau tells him that he's going to do this with 400 men. And all of a sudden, Jacob is deathly afraid. He is distressed, and he should be. What could this mean except war against him, to take him out as he has promised? He is deathly afraid for his life. He feels bound up and restricted. You know, as research shows us through fear, you know, something happens in the brain. The circuits in the brain's emotional centers, they flood with hormones that put the body in high alert, making you edgy and ready for action. You know, the only thing that you can think about is a threat on hand, right? And the better we are to make that evaluation because the brain is moving in this way, fixated on the threat until it passes. And even the blood flows from one's face to one's legs, <laughs> getting ready to fear or to fight or to move in a certain way. And what does Jacob do here? He begins to strategize on how to escape from his brother. He divides the people into two camps. One camp will go ahead of him to meet his brother and tell them that your brother's in the back. The other camp he will take and put them on the other side of the river that he just crossed. His wives and his kids and other animals so that they can escape. Jacob, with all these years of wisdom, is truly assessed the situation and strategized. Okay, I'll befriend him. Okay, that's not going to work. So now I need to move away from him. But God does something in the midst of all his strategizing and planning. God brings him to a point where he is needed the most. Yes, when we're in trouble, we will do our best to strategize and plan, befriend, and maybe have to flee the situation. The body is going to do that automatically. But what would it be like if we have a practice in our lives of prayerfulness? What would that be like? Well, it's clear here where God wants Jacob to be. He brings him to prayer. He brings him to pray, to present his plea before the Lord. He invokes the name of his father Abraham and his father Isaac, the name of the covenant God, the Lord. The one who has made a blood-saturated alliance with Abraham and then with Isaac. Jacob petitioned for help from this God. He recalls, in verse 9, he recalls to God the command that he gave him. Return to your country and to your kindred. It is interesting to note that, that uh, God commanded Abraham as well to leave his country and his kindred and go to the land that he would show him. 
So just as God gave Abraham a promise in the covenant, he gave it to Jacob as well, that I may do you good, not harm, but good. Jacob makes a true confession. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. In this confession, there's this announcement of his insignificance and his acknowledgement of the God's, God of mercy. God's steadfast love is his loving kindness to us. That's his compassion and his grace and his goodness. That's God's faithfulness. Perhaps for the first time, Jacob is here speaking these words from his lips of absolute certainty. After running for so long, seeking to grasp the goodness of life, he now realized that he is not even worthy and that God has given him everything. All that he has, God gave him. Jacob gives the proof of this in verse 10. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. I had nothing and you have given me everything. He gives his humble petition in verse 11. Please, Lord, deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Jacob, no longer self-sufficient, he admits his frailty and confesses his fear. He does this not just on behalf of himself, but also on behalf of his family. He cares about them. What gives him this confidence to pray this prayer? God's promise of assurance through his word. In verse 12, Jacob reminds God of what God has said. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. Jacob appeals to what God has said, banking on what God has promised, banking on God's word instead of his own word, banking on God's overview of his sovereign grace in his life and not his own. You know, my friend was telling me that God put it on his heart to pray for an entire month. Now, this is a man who prays on a regular basis. And so he was kind of taken aback. Why does God want me to just pray? Pray for myself, my wife, my family, and my church. Why does God want me to do this, he asked himself. And so months went by, you know, that month went by, and then it happened. He was accused of something in the life of his church. That was an accusation of misconduct at his work. And so after many meetings, his name was exonerated. It was clear. But then it became even more clear that the church didn't necessarily want him to work there any longer. And so they decided to let him go because they said, well, it's not a good cultural fit. And so for him, it's like, what? This is bizarre. I don't understand. What? Okay. And then for the next six months, he would visit churches with his family. Of course, it's an embarrassing time lost his job, wondering what God has for him next. So he continued to pray. And then more devastating news came his way. Boom! His wife tells him that she's done. And she was done. Decided not to work through things 
and deciding to just move on. And that is exactly what happened. And so there he was, months after finding out that she was leaving, alone. Alone with God. Alone with the promises of God. And he said it was one of the most peaceful, peaceful moments that he's ever experienced. What could have brought him through this devastating time? What could have given him this type of peace? It started with prayer. It started with being on his face before the Lord. It started with God leading him to himself. It started with God preparing his heart for the battle that would come, the loss that he would face. It started with God saying that you're my son. I'm going to care for you. This is going to hurt for a little while. We're, I'm going to get you through this. I mean, losing everything, but being left with God. You know, God wants us before him, doesn't he? God wants his church to be this house of prayer. That we will pray without season. That we will pray continually. That we will seek prayer partners with people in the life of the church. Through your life groups. Through the season of Lent. Maybe grabbing a prayer partner. It's like, okay, we can fast from our time. Let's just fill that time with praying. That could be marriage prayer partners, you know, couples grabbing other couples. Let's pray for a season together for our marriage because we realize that we can't get through this without God's help. Who are we kidding? (laughs) Making time for prayer is sometimes hard to do. Sometimes we come to prayer and we think, I'm anxious about it because I don't have enough time to pray. I need to get going with doing the important things of the day, the fun things of the day. We all feel it, don't we? To sit still before God and with so many things on your list to do, you begin to shake. But God wants you to turn to him with your whole heart during that time. He wants you to know that he is there every moment of the day for you to turn to him. You may, you may say, well, I don't, I don't know how, uh, how to pray. Well, this is a, an example that we have here through this passage. Jesus gives us a model of prayer as well. But what God wants is just for you to start if you haven't started. Just to speak to him about the things that are on your heart. It may be scattered prayers, but he wants you to pray those scattered prayers. It may be a prayer of anger. He wants to hear your heart. It may be a prayer where you're in deep distress like Job in the Bible who lost everything. And yet he brought his complaint to God. God wants to hear those type of prayers. He loves to to hear those type of prayers from his saints, from his children. He is always there for you. Let us not be under the impression that God just doesn't, he just want to hear uh, our same boring prayer. Pray that same boring prayer. <laughs> and come to this place of using scripture to help you. You know, your favorite scripture, lay them all out. Pray that scripture every single day. Clear applications from God's word so that you can have a heap of prayer store, stored up. God stores these prayers up in heaven in bowls. 
He sees your prayers. He hears your prayers. God even helps us to pray by the power of his spirit. And so now Jacob is here learning some things from God. Yes, you have done all that you can do in your planning. You have come to me even in prayer, but there's still something left. There's still an ounce of you that you need to see that belongs to me. And so here he comes in the middle of the night and he is alone. Verses 22 through 32. And what we find here is this place of his heart that he will not let go of God. So Jacob finds himself alone and what's interesting about this passage here is that um, when Jacob is alone, it is God who comes to him. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hip of his socket. Here is Jacob holding on. Desiring to be blessed, desiring the goodness of God, desiring the approval that he never got, desiring the greater blessing that was never pronounced upon him other than him scheming for it. And here he, he is holding on. Then he said in verse 26, the, 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 the God man says, let go of me for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. And he asked him the question. What is your name? Do you know who you've been? What has your name been by your actions? Deceitful one. Schemer. Grasper. Wants to be in control of his own destiny. Thinking that he is not going to have anything unless he, unless he goes out to get it, thinking that good will not come to him unless I grasp it. What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He confessed it. Confess the name of his sinfulness. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven, you wrestle, you've contended with God and with men. And you have persevered. You prevailed. You've used all of your strength to move forward in life. Now you have met with God face to face. And you held on. You did not give up. But you wanted to be blessed by the one who can give you all the blessing. All the goodness that you can ever want or imagine. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. It is not for Jacob to request the name of God only for God to reveal who he is. But he said, why do you ask my name? And there God gave him what he's always wanted. He's always wanted the blessing. And here he is receiving it from God himself. And God blessed him there and told him. And Jacob named that place Peniel. For he said, I've seen the face of God, and yet my life has been delivered. I've been saved by God, the one who could have destroyed me for all of my sins, my wrongdoings. He has seen it all. He just 
with all his power, just touched my hip and it was out of socket. And I held on with all my might because he's the only one who could do me good. He was the only one who could exonerate my name fully to give me a new name. A new name. Don't you want a new name today? And this is what is promised by God through Jesus Christ. That our names will no longer be, be wanderer, be liar. It will, it will not be grasper. Our names will not be broken one, shame any longer, or even anxious one any longer. But son, daughter of the king, beloved, precious one, your new name in Jesus, your new identity, the old is gone, the new has come in Christ. This is your name. Your name is with Christ. He is the Emmanuel for you, God with us. He is the one that you should hold on to and pronounce, God, you have blessed me with an everlasting love that will never, ever let me go. God, you are good. You are good, and your steadfast love endures forever and ever and ever. The goodness of God will not leave his people. God may do some things that we may be baffled about, that we may not understand. And we are going through some tough situations right now. We've heard from doctors or we've heard from other folks in our community about things that are happening in our bodies, in our relationships, and it doesn't look good. But God is good, friends. He's able to turn our situations around if that's his will. But see, what if God takes us through our dark night of the soul so that he could teach us something? We can't begin to know the will of, and mind of God to say we're suffering this because God do, is doing this. That is not what we are to do. But we are to look squarely in the face of God and say, you're the only good that I know. This is a bad situation. You're the only one who has the outcome in his hand. You're the only one who's going to see me through this. Love what Derek Kittner, an Old Testament theologian, says about this passage here. He said, the conflict brought to a head the battling and groping of a lifetime. And Jacob's desperate embrace vividly expressed his ambivalent attitude to God of love, of enmity, defiance, and dependence. It was against him, God, not Esau or Laban, that he had been pitting his strength. And he now discovered, yet the initiative had been God's, as it was this night, to chasten his pride and challenge his tenacity. The crippling and the naming <clears throat> show that God's ends were still the same. He would have all of Jacob's will to win, to attain and obtain, get purged of self-sufficiency and redirected to the proper object of man's love, God himself. 
this is what God is doing in our lives. He's turning our attention over and over again to himself. This is why prayer is so important. He invites us to train our hearts to bow before him for in every situation, circumstance, that we will know that God is with us every step of the way, that he aims to do us good, that we are to face him, that we are before him and him alone. God stayed with me, friends, in that dark room. There really was a lion out there somewhere. May not have been right at my door, but in my mind, he was. But I was greatly comforted when I saw the day breaking. And that gave me a chance to sleep for about an hour and a half before we went on our second safari that morning to see the big five, to see a real lion, leopard, or rhino, or elephant, or African buffalo. Or other animals. I was so tired and exhausted from the night. I can't begin to tell you what God was doing through that situation. But I do know this. That only God was with me. And he gave me Psalm 4.8. A verse for a lifetime. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So no matter the danger in your life right now. Maybe in your body, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your circumstance. But God has promised that we would dwell in his safety, that we would dwell in his spirit, that he would grow us and deepen us in the spirit. Our bodies may be maimed. We may walk with a limp or whatever the ailment may be. But friends, we have the God of all goodness. Will you put your trust in him today? Will you turn to him and face him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we do turn to you now and say thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you have shown us, saints who don't deserve your goodness. But Lord, as you promised to do us good, may that give us the confidence to approach your throne of grace every single day. In your name we pray. Amen.